Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And answering the phones for us today is veto-proof John Dunn. If you want to join our conversation today, you can call us at 813-239-9663. He will get you through to us. Or you can email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Today's Wavemaker is a former neighborhood activist who was appointed last year to the Tampa City Council. Lynn Hertak has taken strong stands on whether to ask voters to amend the city charter and to block efforts to turn treated wastewater into drinking water. After being appointed, she's now asking voters to elect her to this council, drawing four opponents, including the mother-in-law of Mayor Jane Castor. Welcome to Wavemakers, Lynn. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm really excited to be here today. The Tampa City Council, um, Tampa City races can seem like a sprint. Um, just this past Friday was the last day to qualify for the ballot, and now it's only six weeks until March 6th, the last day of voting. You have until February 6th to register to vote, and remember, if you want to vote by mail, you need to request a ballot. That's the result of a new state law. Uh, the last day to uh, register to vote is February 6th, and early voting starts um, February 27th. Runoff elections, if needed, will be in April. Um, Tampa Mayor Jane Castor drew only a write-in candidate, which makes her a shoe-in for the second a second term. So the focus for the next 42 days will be on the city council races. We have Councilwoman Hertak with us today. We had Councilman Joe Citro, who's also running for re-election to the council on December 13th. And we'll have other candidates in those city council races here on Wavemakers in the coming weeks. The current city council includes six members elected in March 2019, and one, who is with us today, who has been in office for nine months. Lynn Hertak was appointed to the council to replace John Dingfelder, who resigned after a lobbyist sued over the handling of public records. So, Lynn, it's been an awfully eventful nine months for you, including leading the charge just last week to overturn an unprecedented five mayoral voter vetoes. So, why do you want a whole four-year term? Uh... Honestly, I've had the most exciting nine months. I've just loved this job. I had no idea how much how much fun it would be, to be honest with you. Uh, I've really enjoyed getting out, getting to know the community, getting to know the city departments, working with staff, all to try to make our city better and focus on the issues that the voters are telling me and constituents are telling me they want me to focus on. Takes a lot of time, though, right? I mean, you do have a job, but now you have another job. Um, I did have a job. I uh, I work for myself. Um, I'm a consultant. Uh, I work uh, as an editor and an evaluator for USAID um, projects. So uh, focusing mostly on monitoring and evaluation, capacity building, and food security, uh, mostly in West Africa. So what what I do is go out and when USAID has a project, when when we give money. Uh, to others, we have to we we have to evaluate that. So, on uh, I've been able to use what I've learned in that job to help with city council and evaluate how we spend our money, what we look at, all those types of things. But since joining council, I've taken a short sabbatical, um, and uh, I'll have to obviously revisit that um, uh, after re-election in March. 
As we mentioned in the introduction, um, one of your opponents in this race is someone who's really close to the mayor, um, Janet Cruz. She's a Democrat who served the Tampa Bay area for 11 years in Tallahassee, first as a member of the Florida House of Representatives, where she rose uh, to become the minority leader, and then um, uh, she was served in the Florida Senate. Now she's running for the District 3 seat that you hold, and she also happens to be um, the, essentially the mother-in-law of the mayor. It seems like a very unusual, unusually close relationship for someone in the um, executive branch and someone in the legislative branch to have that close of a relationship. And I'm not sure it's ever happened in the city history, or right. in, the, in the county, or even in the state. Can you, Lynn, or does it think of any time? And no, I, I can't. And to be honest with you, uh, currently in my nine months in office, uh, I've only spoken um, with the mayor personally twice. Um, I generally work with her staff. Uh, she's a very busy woman. She's doing a lot of things. I'm generally working with chief of staff or I'm working with different staff members on particular projects. So I think someone to have that close of an access with the mayor would be unusual, especially from a current council member's perspective. And that's largely because uh, the Tampa City Council acts as a check and balance on the mayor's power. And the mayor is one of the most powerful elected officials in Florida, really, the, the amount uh, that she can do on her own. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if there's another executive like that. So there are people uh, raising questions about whether, you know, if, if, the, if, if you're on the city council and your mayor's the mother-in-law, can you really be neutral on that? She says she can. Everyone should trust her that she'll do that. Uh, what's your thought on that? Again, like I said, I mean, I've really only had a couple of conversations with the mayor herself. I don't know how it would be uh, normal to have weekly, daily conversations with the mayor. That's just not the way the city has worked yeah, in and the just, past. I think in government, just thinking about people who are, are related. I mean, we had, just think on a national level, you had JFK and um, RFK who served at the same time, but not in in a checks and balances position. And you had Jeb Bush serving at the same time as George Bush. Again, not um, in the um, executive, executive and legislative, thing, yeah. no check and balance there. So that's where it gets a little bit unusual, I think. I am I surprised to hear that you've only met with her twice. Because um, I, I know Dick Greco was pretty well known for meeting regularly with city council members. Um, master schmoozer, let's face it. Um, does, has that surprised you? Have you tried to get uh, more meetings with her? I haven't actually tried. Like I said, I mean, I generally work with staff on particular things, and but she's only reached out a couple of times. We've we've texted a couple of times, but um, there really hasn't been, uh, in in my mind, the the outreach. Um, uh, but again, this is a new position for me, so I didn't know if that was normal. Uh, but, uh, it, it doesn't seem to me also that uh, from the conversations we have on the dais that it's a regular occurrence with other council members either. Um, we've got um, an email from David Bryant who asks, um, it, he's, this is, David says, Janet Cruz proves that nepotism is alive and well in Tampa politics. I hope that Lynn holds her current job. She's done a great job as councilwoman. Um, one thing I was curious about, what are, your, what, is Lynn, what are Lynn's thoughts on the Goods harassment scandal? I feel like he should have been suspended for harassing his employee. you have any thoughts on that? Um, I, first of all, I want to say thank you, and I appreciate the uh, the compliment and the comment. Um, I actually don't, because most of that was settled before uh, I was in office, um, except for the the uh, the monetary settlement. Um, I don't know enough about 
the actual case, I'll be honest, in order, I don't feel comfortable okay. reporting on it because I, I just, I was not in council when that happened. So I'm, I'm honestly not sure okay. uh, the specifics of the issue. He is running for re-election now. Two of your council colleagues, Joe Citro and Louis Vieira, called on him to resign. And of course, the mayor very strongly called on him to resign. He's refused to do that and decided to leave it up to the voters. So I guess we'll decide what, whether the voters want to keep him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, uh, you know, I think that's that's a great way to to see the pulse of the of the voters and the citizens. Well, speaking of which, that's um, exactly what happened last week with these charter amendments that were um, put forward by the city council, vetoed by the mayor, and uh, overturned. Tell us why you think it was important to put these. You helped lead the charge to overturn that veto. Tell us why you think it was important to have these issues on the ballot. And if you could summarize what they are for people who are listening. Okay. Uh, well, we had five. Um, this was a long process, actually. It took months. We met at least four times as a, as a council to discuss these issues. So we had plenty of time to have public comment and conversation about them. Uh, we actually had over 22 that we considered during a special council workshop on charter amendments. Mm -hmm. So we kind of whittled it down to five that we could all agree on, or at least to go forward. That means a four to three vote. And when we got to first and second readings, uh, again, each we had separate meetings for each of those, two weeks separate between all of them. Uh, and one of the one of the first ones that that uh, got through was term limiting council members to four consecutive terms. Because right now you can go back and forth yeah, between back seats and, forth and, and back and forth and, and back and forth forever. Forever. So, like Char uh, Charlie, Charlie Miranda. Miranda is proving that <laughs> he's running again for the, I don't know fifth term, I guess. Well, I. I look at it as a very balance with the same way the mayor can do. The mayor can run for two consecutive terms and then has to sit out for four term for four years rather yeah. and then can run again. And that's basically what would be for council just to kind of make the two uh, similar. Um another another amendment would would uh close the loophole with interim uh, police are actually we're we're looking at the police chief for this, but interim directors. Uh, and I have I have seen it reported incorrectly throughout the newspapers. It says that we would have the power to appoint, and that that is true, but not true. We already have the power. We have to approve anyone that the mayor nominates. We just turn. We just change the language from her, her uh, from it being the mayor appoints and we approve to the mayor nominates and we appoint because it's basically what we're doing. Council, uh, the person is not allowed to start the to truly start the job until council approves them. What happened is we have this interim language language there and the intent from the interim language uh, that council has now agreed on is that was supposed to be someone from current city staff. So right now our interim, our current interim police chief, Lee Bearcaw, it was a member of the Tampa Police Department and got the interim job. He's going to hold that job until the next person is chosen and uh, uh, agreed to by the council. What happened though is that uh, with the last police chief's election, the mayor hired someone and put them in the interim spot who was not a current member and then started referring to them as the police chief, which put council in a really hard spot. The gist of all the amendments, though, is 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 this correct? Maybe um, 
giving a little bit more or clarifying the, the duties mm-hmm. between the city council yeah. and the mayor? Because we have a sm- strong mayor form of government. Yeah. That's been what has been talked about. And is that what we want? Do we need stronger checks on the mayor? That is what is going before the voters in, in March. Basically, yes. Uh, yeah. We were just looking at tightening some loopholes, and that that's one of the loopholes that, that we're looking at. Another is that we can, that council can decide to create a border commission. It would still have to be approved by the mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, the language is uh, is not clear on who's allowed to do that. Well, this would just clarify that both are allowed to do it. If the mayor wants to do one, we have to approve. If we want to do one, she has to approve. But either way, now both solidly could do that if the voters choose. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers and WMNF, and our guest is Lynn Hurtak, Tampa City Council member. Um, if you would like to ask Lynn a question or participate in the conversation, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663, um, or you can email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Uh, so, when you were at um, Tiger Bay last week, you said that one of the things that you're most proud of in the months um, that you've been on the council was is stopping the um, so-called Pure Project, um, which is the uh, proposal to uh, use treated wastewater and turn it into drinking water. Tell us about that, um, about what the status of that is, uh, what happens next, and why is that something that you're so proud of? Um you know, I've only been on council for nine months, and for me, it was something that that was that was honestly not difficult to stop. The issue was we had gotten to the point where where the water department was asking for a million more dollars to hire a third PR firm to try to tell people about the eight possible ways we could improve wastewater, and it was just confusing. And so I, I told them that we had been getting a hundred emails a day telling us no one wanted. Treated drinking water, or treated wastewater for drinking water. So we just needed to stop and go back and explain to people what the status quo is. What are we doing right now? What happens if we keep doing that? Because no one's truly convinced, myself included, that we really have a problem. Because what we're doing now is we are putting treated wastewater, 50 million gallons a day, into Tampa Bay. And the question is, what do we do with that? There was a state law that was passed that says you need to find a beneficial use for that water rather than just putting it in the bay. So we're trying to find, I mean, this has been something that's been going on for decades, trying to figure out what Speaking to do with, with Sandy that water. Friedman, yeah. <laughs> she told me she gave up on that, uh, what was then called the toilet to tap program because she just couldn't get the constituents mm-hmm. to get over the ick factor. Even though this is it's happening all over the state, all over the, all over the country, this all over the world. state law has prompted cities all over the, the, the state to uh, deal with this issue. Well, one of the things that we just approved uh, last week um, was a pilot project that the state is funding. We're, we got grant funding to use a process called SIX to try to pull more out of the treated wastewater. Um, I, I currently sit on the Tampa Bay Estuary Board, and one of the problems that I've learned about by sitting on that board is that our seagrasses are starting to die again. Uh. And the reason is we have nitrogen, more nitrogen put in the water. And this six-pilot program is going to go on for six months, and it should help us see how much nutrients, PFAS, PFOAs, that type of stuff that we can pull more that we can pull out of the wastewater. And if we can do that, then maybe it could be considered beneficial because the bay does need a dedicated source of fresh water. Oh, so you, As so, does the Hillsborough River. Mm-hmm. 
So the next step is going to be a report from the water department on status quo. Is that what's happening next? Yes, actually, we're going to have a workshop on the topic on February 23rd, and we welcome all uh, interested parties. It'll be at 9 a.m. In, uh, in council chambers, part of our monthly workshop, and we will be discussing what happens if we keep the status quo. The next step for me, regardless, is going to be talking about conservation. I feel for having a resource like water in our backyard, we have so much of it. We do not do a very good job at conserving what we have. I'm I'm not concerned about what we about saving water for the future until we have figured out how to save water now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're if we're saving water now, it, it's going to benefit us for the future absolutely. Two questions on this topic. One is, do you have a thought on you know there's you're doing this pilot right now and pulling that water the the more of the contaminants out of the water, um, and you're saying possibly that that will mean that it could still go in the bay and be considered beneficial use. Do you have any other ideas on on how to solve the problem? Or you does it? There's ideas of putting it below the dam so it helps with the river minimum flows above the dam so it's even further treated, or you want it out not in the river at all, I, or you I, don't know. I, I don't feel comfortable with it to be honest. I mean, I'm get, we're going to have to see what we can take out, and then what that really means. I mean, the bay is a wildly different body of water than the river. Mm-hmm. We're not taking drinking water from the bay. It can go out. We're, we're, I mean, it has a whole different job than water that goes in the river. I, I, I mean, I know that there's a lot more I can learn about it, but at, right now I can't say that I'm comfortable putting any type of treated wastewater into our drinking water sources. Now, the city, of course, through their spokesman has said that they're not planning to do that, and they haven't been planning to do that for years. But if you look at the city's website, it is one of the alternatives. So I can see why the public might be confused. So that is still on on the plan, right? To to use it for drinking water in some way, maybe put it in the reservoir. Or one of eight options. One of eight options, right? For me, no, not you, right no. now. Okay. Again, that that was the whole point to take the conversation back to start. Why do we need to do this? What is the what happens if we just stick with the plan we have? Because right now the public doesn't even understand that. So you can't go forward until we all understand what's actually actually happening. Uh, I'm a former Title I elementary school teacher, and if there's one thing I've learned, it's you have to educate. You have to make sure people truly understand what's going on before you can push something on them. Uh, we don't spend nearly enough money on education in in the city toward things that we want to occur. Um, so you mentioned conservation. Tell me about that. What are some thoughts that you have on how we conserve uh, can, can conserve uh, water? Well, literally, we can start anywhere because that's something that we just as a city have not pushed as much as I'd like to see. Uh, obviously, using less water in in your day to day life. Uh, changing from a St. Augustine grass to native, conserving water through rainwater to be used in your garden. There, there are so many different ways. I mean, those are just off the top of my head, and I'm sure there are many more. But the issue is, this isn't something we're encouraging people to do. We also have a um, purple pipes program that takes some of that treated water so people can use on their lawns and things like that. We, we need to look at something other than using fresh water. For for irrigation, yeah, 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 and and just things that are not things that are not drinking, bathing, cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, 
let's move on to um, another hot topic for city council right now is transportation. Um, um, you have been a, and I would say um, the mayor as well, has been a big advocate of, mo of um, active transportation, bicycling and walking. I've, you're a big I've, bicycler. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you're a, a very big bicycler, yeah. So tell us about that in terms of a form of transportation and, and what are we going to do now that we don't have, that the, the sales tax did not pass for transportation. There's so little funding. Uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, uh, all for transportation funding, we were, we were really hoping was going to, was going to be able to help us. But what I, as an avid cyclist, one of the things I am absolutely, uh, focused on is more protected bike lanes. I think that's, that's a huge thing we can do. Um, I know other cities are doing grants to help people buy electric bikes. I think that could be a giant game changer in the city. Uh, another, another thing, absolutely adding more money to the sidewalk fund. We, we have to do it. And now that we don't want to have the AFT dollars, we're going to have to find them somewhere uh, because that's something that people are clamoring for. Well, uh, there is a, a move afoot to actually increase the fee that is paid into the sidewalk fund by developers when they can't build a sidewalk. So The city um, council closed that loophole last year. And yeah. didn't they say that they were going to raise they the fee? They talked about raising the fee um, and then did not. They It was, it was just... One more bite than that they chose. <laughs> they they did given, not want to take that bite, but it's, given the building they, boom they right now, they said it that would come be, back. Is yeah. that would that be something you would support? I think the fee now Absolutely. is forty five dollars or twenty five dollars or something a linear foot. They want to raise it to seventy five to cover the cost of installing a sidewalk. Is that something? You would oh, support. absolutely, because it does not, I can tell you, take $25 yeah. to put in a sidewalk. And I, and I may be off on the number, but I know that it doesn't cover the cost of, mm -hmm. of it, But it's, and they, they've talked about raising it to as much as $75, which is obviously getting put back, pushed back from the builders. But as you mentioned, so important. And the protected bike lanes, what do you think about the the um, walking and bicycling infrastructure in, Florida, in Tampa and over the past few years? Do, would you say that you think it's gotten better? I, I feel like it's gotten remarkably better. Absolutely, absolutely. It doesn't think, mean we're done, but... Oh, no, no, no. But I do really appreciate the mayor's focus on that, and the mobility team has been amazing to work with. They are about to close the gap on Cass Street, over the Cass Street Bridge, with a paint project. And I'm so excited to see that, because that is one of the big push points for me in traveling from uh, downtown to West Tampa, is that particular... Uh, stretch is really tricky, so I, I'm happy to see that. Uh, and that and that's just to, for, for people who are not familiar with that. That's a, a, a divided, protected bike lane. They think they even have some traffic lights for the bikes. Mm -hmm. uh, so probably the gold standard for bike lanes. You'd like to see that not only completed, you'd like to see more of that in the city? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Anywhere we can uh, do um, complete streets projects, that's absolutely one of the things that we're working toward. But but we in transportation, we also have to talk about the bus. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm the only city council member who regularly rides the bus. Uh, I think it's a fabulous way to get from one place to another and only two bucks. So uh, I, I highly recommend people try it. And unfortunately, with Hart not getting the AFT money, we're going to have to see what we as the city can do to help with our city inside the city portion. What can we do? Uh, another thing we've talked about is extending the streetcar. Um, we have some FDOT money for a bus rapid transit system between downtown and USF. We need to now have those conversations about how we, we try to get that done without the, the um, local dollars. And you rode, I, rode the bus rapid transit system recently in St. Pete, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. What would uh, you think? 
I loved it. Um, my husband and I took our bikes on the ferry over to St. Pete for a three-day staycation and got a chance to ride that. It was it was wonderful. So um, you you took your bikes on the ferry. This is what I understood you did. Then you you tell me tell us about the whole trip you took. Then you took the bus r- rapid transit all the way to the beach. Is that correct? Actually, we biked to the beach and took the bus rapid transit back. Oh, okay. Um, we wanted to have that ride on the Pinellas Trail, which was really awesome. Got to Treasure Island and came back. Uh, the 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 rapid transit picks you up. It's called the Sunrunner. It picks you up at 66th, and we rode that back. It was really cool because they have these bike racks that just pull your bike vertical. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, hold on to them. And really they have great. the platform, the level boarding platform, so that you can roll your bike right onto the bus rather than having to lift up the steps. They, like getting on a train. Really, it's really somewhere. amazing. Yeah. Tom and I actually went and 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 rode the Sunrunner <laughs> over there, and and it's amazing. You take it, and it's this beautiful bus and bus lane with uh, you're going down these tree shaded streets with these protected bus bike lanes next to you and and sidewalks next to those and it's okay this is a complete street this is a real transportation system like and there were you, probably 20 people on that bus yeah. and uh, which you would not normally see of course it is free so right now it's a pretty good deal Yes, exactly. Uh, but it's getting people used to riding it. And we could absolutely do that. They did that on um, First Streets North and South, which had three, there are three one-way lanes, very similar to Florida and Tampa. And that's something that we could feasibly do. It wouldn't necessarily be uh, a solo lane the whole way. Um, St. Pete's done a very good job of the the lane is for Buses mostly, but if you're turning left, it, um, on they have the, in, them in the left lane. That works. Uh, I want to. Um, we'll get back to this conversation, but I want to get a, um, take this call from Bob. Um, Bob in Tampa, you are on the line. You have a question about overbuilding in the tree canopy. Yes, hi Lynn. Um, we were very very lucky to get you after um, the injustice done to Zhang Zengfelder. So we really appreciate you being on the board. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Um, I just you're welcome. I just wanted to, uh, and I'll take my I'll take the answer off off offline. Um, could you please let everybody know how you feel about um, overbuilding and um, how you plan on sort? I know you guys spend a lot of time um, addressing that um, in city council chambers. You know, people coming trying to get um, variances on zoning and. Um, in doing so, it, the canopy is taking a real beating, and neighborhoods are just being um, overbuilt. I was wondering if you could just address how you uh, how you feel about that, and also if you could um, how you feel about um, sustaining the canopy. Uh, I don't know if everybody knows that we are the number one city on the planet for um, trees per um, square mile. You know, second only uh, first. First above Singapore, which is second. Really? uh, I will take, yeah. I did not know that. I love that. Yep, the Guardian, um, the Guardian reported it. And we are, of all the things that Tampa is known for worldwide, we are the number one city for tree canopy um, on the planet, which is an amazing marketing tool right now, considering, you know, what's going on um, with global warming. You know, um, Joe Chalura was, a real visionary in making sure that we had tree laws and to to stay in place to to, to help build that canopy. And Kathy Beck um, at uh, Resources really really fought. And now we are we are sitting. We have a beautiful green shield between us and the sun, 
and it's just slowly eroding. The the the, the uh, tree tree camp is going to come out. It's going to be very revealing. Well, thanks for but the anyway, um, yeah. Thanks for the um, the question, Bob. What 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 do you think about that, Lynn? Um, what what's your response to what do you think about the effect of overbuilding on our tree canopy? Well, first of all, uh, when I was. Uh, with uh, Old Seminole Heights Neighborhood Association, I was vice president and before that a trustee for several years. We we really fought against cutting down of the trees. Um, unfortunately, after our the tree law that that the city was able to agree on, the state came in with preemption, which unfortunately has enabled people to pull down more trees than we we had wanted people to do. So I mourn in the same way, but I, I really feel that we are often over times overbuilding in certain areas. Uh, sometimes when we have a parcel that has trees, we see developers that do a great job of building within the trees and trying to save as many as possible and having the green space. The problem with adding density, which is what the city needs, we need more housing, but what we're not doing at the same time is expanding our green space. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be green space in someone's yard, although that is preferable, but we need to at least have park space. If you think of other large urban core areas, if you don't have trees uh, available in someone's yard or if, if we have a big high-rise building, what what we're doing now is when we have a giant high rise, the the trees people are planting in front are maybe crepe myrtles or palm trees. That doesn't provide the type of shade that we really need as a city. So we really need to encourage people uh, when and and that again goes to um, tightening tightening up of codes. Mm -hmm. And if we could tighten up what people are allowed to to plant, I think it helps a lot. Uh, folks think of. Florida as palm trees, but palm trees provide no shade. No shade. Yep. So, uh, speaking of building, um, uh, what are you? What are your thoughts about where we build in terms of? There's a lot of folks who are pushing back against higher density south of Gandy, and um, for a variety of reasons. But to me, what raises my what I'm question is building in these high hazard areas, that doing a lot of building in places that are likely to be affected by sea level rise and storms. And is that, is that something that you think council can address or should address? I do, but here's, here's a, a big thing that we have to do 100%. We have to work with the community about it because we... From, a, from an overarching lens looking at everything, you can say, oh, yes, we should stop building in these coastal high hazard areas. But the people who live in these neighborhoods really love their neighborhoods. They want, they want to keep the neighborhood what it is. They don't want to think about starting to recede. They still want commercial development and things like that to make their lives easier. It's, it, is, it is a really difficult conversation that we have to have with each neighborhood. Now, we did get a federal grant for coastal high hazard areas, and we actually are in the process. They the the grant had um, consultants go out to four particular neighborhoods, all coastal high hazard neighborhoods, to talk about areas where they're having trouble with sea level rise or flooding. Talk about how we can, uh, how the city or um, hopefully some federal dollars can help alleviate that, and what the community wants to see. And I went on a couple of those tours and. What surprised me is some communities want more development. Mm -hmm. Some communities want less development. And 
again, this is an area I think we need to take neighborhood by neighborhood with a serious conversation in the community of what we need to do. Does does develop massive development, is that a really good idea? Is building up better than building single family? It's absolutely a conversation that I can't make the decision on my own. I don't, I don't feel that that's my role. My role is to listen to the community and work together to find a solution. It's, it's an interesting time in Tampa's evolution, I think, where, you know, we are having these conversations about growth. We are becoming, you know, the city is, I've been here a long time and the way the downtown has changed and the restaurants we have and the culture that we have and the amenities that we have are so incredible. Um, but at the same time, what comes with that is the traffic um, and the um, expensive houses, um, as housing and the complicated politics, which I think uh, we're seeing all of that right now in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Do, are, do you are you seeing those things? Oh, absolutely. But again, the, my my feeling on that is it's time to engage the community more, to have conversations with what people actually want their community to look like. Well, yeah. they do want affordable housing. We have a housing crisis. Yeah. But how do you make that happen? I hear a lot of people talking about it, and I know there is a proposal that I think you are backing. To try to use some money from the community redevelopment agency, um, and then which then has different districts and different constituencies, so some of the same kind of thing. Are you? But that's one of the first real um, uh, concrete proposals I've heard to put real money into building affordable housing. How is that going? Where are you on that idea? Well, the CRAs, we have eight CRAs uh, in the city. Um, and two weeks after I was appointed, they made me chair of the CRA. <laughs> so, um, so they obviously felt that uh, this is a topic I could handle. Uh, and let's explain, I always like explaining this, that the CRAs are areas where property taxes that are collect, property tax increases that are collected are directed back into improvements in that community rather than put into the city general fund. So in Very a good. Yes, that is actually a very good description. It's always hard to explain what that is to people. And and, and so Channel District is is one mm-hmm. downtown, yeah, downtown Ebor City. These I were think initially created to help blighted communities. I don't know how you can call the Channel District a blighted community anymore, but it or downtown for that matter. Maybe it had a, a big effect. Uh, but there's a potentially well. forty million dollars, I believe. Is that what the figure is for um, affordable housing from the CRAs? Or um, actually, no. Okay. Uh, we started out thinking that we were going to get ten point seven million, uh-huh. and upon closer look, with the CRAs putting thirty percent of each of their funds toward affordable housing, it's twenty point two million. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a, big a lot number. of money. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, we aren't we aren't just talking building because the city is not going to become a landlord. That we just we we can't do that. But but one of the things we are looking at is uh, helping to build. We we're st- we want to set up a community land trust. Uh, that's something the city can do. But within the CRAs, we can partner with uh, folks who build affordable housing. So public private partnerships. 
One of the other things that we're not talking about that really I, we really want to see in the CRAs is helping people stay in their homes by rehabbing. And the rehab program works, say, if you need a new roof and a new air conditioner, the city will uh, will pay for it using city uh, vetted workers, um, city vetted uh, contractors. Mm-hmm. And then you need you have to stay in your house for a certain number of years. And every year you stay, it's prorated down. If, because if you were to say, oh, I got my house picked up, I'm, I'm going to sell it for a bunch of money. That's not the intention of the program. The intention of the program is to help people stay in their homes. Another thing that we've been studying and looking at is what it would, what it would take to, say, build an ADU and put it in the back of some of those homes and, again, do that proration and, an and a- require them. Oh, thank an, you. I'm going to say an ADU is an accessory dwelling unit and it's like whatever, a mother-in-law apartment or something that you might be able to rent to somebody that increases density and also makes your home more affordable because you can rent it out. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, there are way, we're looking at ways that we could require those to be affordable, again, for a certain number of years as the proration of building it uh, uh, goes away. So th- those are the, some of the types of things that, that we're looking at through the CRA. There are, there are, uh, the CRA has a, a lot more flexibility mm-hmm. in terms of how we can use our dollars. And so we're, I'm, I'm looking for more pilot projects to happen in that in that realm that can then uh, things that are things that have worked we can then send to uh, the city to do to to try um, in if, other areas. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers and WMNF. Our guest is Lynn Hertak, Tampa City Council member and. Uh, actually, Tampa City Council woman, the only woman on the city council, and um, a city council candidate. Um, if you'd like to join our conversation, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send an email to dj at wmnf.org. We have an email from Gary Gibbons who says, um, the discussion at city council last week about the lack of ambulances in the city is alarming. Um, can you discuss the crisis and um, tell us what your ideas are about trying to rectify it? Uh, thank you, Gary, for that question. Uh, and That's yes, good that he went to the meeting because I don't think I've read much about that. Uh, yes, we actually had quite a conversation about it last week. Um, so one of the things I've done as a council member is I've started to do monthly ride-alongs with both police and fire. It's the biggest part of our budget, and I don't understand it. The two just areas I don't understand. So uh, my goal is to get on the on the ground and work with, with individual uh Officers and um, personnel, just to, to see what 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 they all do. I was on. Um, I was with a fire station um, a couple of Fridays ago, Friday the thirteenth, and we we had, we took a call um, in an engine, but we ended up taking someone who had got, had an overdose to the hospital. So we get to the hospital, and there are twelve ambulances waiting. They're from county, they're private. But, but what they told me was they could be sitting there for upwards of four hours waiting for the hospital to admit their patient. Oh my gosh. Well, it's a huge problem that I didn't know about. Had I not done this ride along, I wouldn't have known about this. Why is it taking so long to admit them? Hospital uh, staffing issues could be. And so they, ju- they just have to wait. So that's one of the things we talked about on Thursday was ways that um, Chief Tripp, the fire chief, and uh, Chief John Bennett, the uh, city's chief of staff, the mayor's chief of staff, could work with hospitals on making sure that it 
that they they can accept patients in a better uh, time frame so that those ambulances can go back out onto the street. The the other issue, um, thankfully, the fire chief about six months ago, she opened, reopened a closed fire station and has added two rescue cars to that. But we still don't have enough. So is the, uh, we're not keeping up with the pace of growth. So yes. there's probably a best practices of how many fire stations and ambulances and trucks you need per capita. And we're missing the mark on that. Oh, absolutely. So apparently the council a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, had talked about a public safety impact fee and what that would take. Well, for whatever reason, it wasn't followed up on. So I brought it back again, I think two or three weeks ago and said, we really need to revisit this. We need to revisit a public safety impact fee. Mm-hmm. So that that is something that was brought to us on Thursday. And so I asked, to. there's a whole process we have to do. We have to do studies. We have to do all of this to, to I mean, you can't just throw a fee on. You right. have to really be able to explain it. So we're starting that, that process right now. It's absolutely critical. But in the meantime, I'm happy to put more money toward that. Uh, because we absolutely need more more uh, responders. We need more. Um, Chief Trip has has ordered more um, am, uh, rescue cars, but just like everything else, uh, for these big issue, big ticket items, a lot of them are being held up. Slow supply chain issues. Well, um, you're listening to Wavemakers and WMNF with City Councilwoman Lynn Hertak, and we will be right back after this. I think we'll be right back. This is Walter Elspeth II, the host of the Sunday Forum. Each and every Sunday from 8 to 10 a.m., the Fourth Estate and I do research and have intelligent conversation with each and every one of you. And we love it. We love bringing you the best in radio programming here on WMNF 88.5 Tampa, Sarasota, St. Pete. Want to hear what one listener called the most disrespectful show he's heard in 20 years? Join Donna, Liz, and Amina at 10 a.m. on Thursdays for Surly Voices. A fresh feminist take on current events, politics, and social justice. Slaying the patriarchy, one show at a time. Surly Voices, Thursday at 10 a.m. on WMNF 88.5 and WMNF.org. So those are just two of the public affairs shows that you can listen to uh, weekday mornings on WMNF. And on this Friday, we are debuting a new public affairs show um, with a familiar voice, Mitch Perry, Ray Roa of Creative Loafing, and Ben Montgomery of Axios will be doing a show at 11 o'clock on Fridays. Don't miss it. It's going to be great, I guarantee you. coming into the station. (laughs) Yeah, Rockstars. If if you're just joining us, uh, this is Wavemakers on WMNF, and we're speaking with Tampa City Council member Lynn Hertak, who is running for a four-year term. And we have talked a little bit about the conflicts you've had with the mayor, not on every issue, but you have disagreed with her on the Pure Project and on the Charter Amendments. Um, but you also were sent by the Castro administration to Copenhagen to uh, look into some resource recovery uh, project there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, we, The city of Tampa was invited to uh, go on the trip with the city of Orlando, which sent a, a good bunch of people over to Copenhagen to look at biogas and how to use biogas to help A, reduce garbage intake, and B, to provide more energy. So what it would do is basically take food waste out of the uh, garbage cycle. And the most interesting thing I learned during that trip was 
that they mainly do this with larger retailers, grocery stores, restaurants. They're not expecting every single resident to put compost out. They can, but they don't have to. What they're doing is just trying to take garbage out of a landfill, garbage out of the uh, waste to energy plant, which is burning, because the drier the garbage, the more efficiently it burns. So that's something that we absolutely need to look at as we retrofit our waste to energy plant. The city does, uh, in the city, we do burn all of our garbage, Um, but the plant is incredibly old and needs to be completely retrofit. And that's another thing that we have to look at. And it generates electricity Mm -hmm. that is then uh, sold to Tico, which is a project that Bob Martinez did. Actually, we don't sell it to Tico. We sell it to Seminole Electric. Did not know that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting myself. I don't know why. And uh, beyond that, though, what are your other priorities moving into uh, the final, what, either is going to be the final weeks of your term or the next four years? What are you hoping to accomplish going forward? Well, obviously, w- more affordable housing. That's really what the, the community is clamoring for. It doesn't matter who you speak to, um, from business to residents, everyone wants affordable housing. Again, to, to focus on transportation, what can we do now that we don't have that all for transportation funding? What other funding sources can we look toward? And sustainability with both water and garbage. Uh, those are both big passion projects of mine. One of the things that we were you, you touched on is the extension of the streetcar. Um, what options are there for that? I know that there's we've got state funding sitting there waiting for us for a local match, which now we don't have. Which they were hoping to use. They're hoping the to use with the offer transportation, transportation uh, tax. Um, uh, there was... Um, and that could help solve some affordable housing issues, right, by having more dense housing along the line of that streetcar. So you could have been solving two But problems. there's some talk about potentially using CRA money for that. Is that something that you would support? Possibly, yes. But right now, the very first thing we need to look at is the currently the state is holding what, $500 million of money that was collected from the tax initially. And we that's our money. We need mm-hmm. to get it back. So once we get it back, it's something that we can absolutely look, look at. Can we use some of that money to fund the streetcar expansion? Can we? What, what else can we use that money for? Uh, again, we're going to have to share that with Hillsborough County. We're going to see how much of that would come back to us. But absolutely, to use the money, uh, as much money as we can for some of the projects that we had already earmarked. Gotcha. Now, I'm always interested in how folks like you got into the position you're in, and I, I know that you uh, spent some time both uh, in the neighborhood association world, but you also served on a couple of uh, city committees that I guess informed a lot of what you know about the city. So can you tell us about those experiences and how they prepared you for this job? Sure. Uh, I Yeah, I joined the neighborhood association uh probably one year into moving to Tampa. So I got involved, got on the board. That's Seminole Heights. So, oh, thank you. Old Seminole Heights Neighborhood Association. Because there's about seven of them, I yes, think, Seminole Heights. there are. And where'd you uh, move from? Uh, we actually moved just from over the bridge in St. Pete. Okay. So we lived there for three years and moved over here, um, basically for my husband's job, for his work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we moved over here. I joined the Neighborhood Association. And from that... Uh, I wanted to get more involved in the city. So I uh, applied for the Charter Review Commission for the city of Tampa, which is basically that the first time since 1975 they had looked at the charter, which is, of course, our constitution. 
uh, I was one of four people to agree to do to uh, be an alternate. And two people didn't show up. So lo and behold, I'm on the commission. And it was a wonderful experience. I learned so much about our city, about how it runs, about how the charter works. Oh, that is a good way to learn about it. Oh, that absolutely. is diving in with the end of the weeds for sure. Well, and I sat on the Charter Review Commission with three other council members, uh, Bill Carlson, Orlando Goods, and Joe Citro. Okay. Um, so from that... All of whom voted for you. For the city council, I think. Yes, mainly because of how they knew how I worked on that that Charter Review Commission. In fact, after the three of those uh, were elected to um, the city council in 2019, uh, Joe Citro basically insisted that I take his seat on the Variance Review Board. I took about Was he trying t- to punish you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did land use for the Neighborhood Association, so I had an interest, uh, but not a, lot of, not a lot of concrete knowledge. So after his third time of asking, I said yes, and I, I got on that board. I spent two and a half years learning all about city land use and code issues, uh, and it was, it was a wonderful time. I learned a lot, and I sat on that board until I was appointed. So between my work learning about the charter, learning about land use, which is a big part of city council's job and Mm -hmm. working from the neighborhood's perspective, I feel like I had a pretty good knowledge base for applying. So when friends recommended I I apply for the appointment, I did. Um, So you were also... Back to I'm sorry to go to go back, but I want we have a question. Somebody wanted us to ask you about the impact of the demise of T-Barda. So that was something that happened last Friday, I think, right before you came to the Tiger Bay. You had a T-Barda meeting where the board, it's the uh, what is it, Tampa Bay Area Regional Transportation Authority or Transit Authority. I think they changed the T at some point um, and voted to disband themselves. Tell us about that. What's the impact on that? And why was that something that you supported doing? Well, I was there because I sit on T-Barda. Um, that's part of one of my jobs as a city council member. And we we voted uh, to disband mainly because we weren't really able to forward any... any um, Thing. Uh, anything. Yeah, anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so at the time... Of the disbandment, or when I joined, we were looking at things like gondola studies yeah. in, in I think, Clearwater or St. Pete yes. Beaches. And, you know, there's it's always great to be looking at possibilities, but we have a real crisis. And, and basically, it came down to wanting to put a bus rapid transit system through our downtown core by expanding the interstate. And folks in Hillsborough County in the city of Tampa said, we know we have people that live in these communities and they live here because they want to. They should not be the ones that are punished mm-hmm. if for living within the community. They shouldn't have their houses torn down and the interstate expanded just because we want to try this bus rapid transit, which we're not even sure is going to work. So my solution was just try it anyway. Like mm-hmm paint one of the lanes red and call it bus rapid transit. Let's see what we can do. Uh, because the, the, the truth of the matter is it's going to take a lot for people to get on a bus. Right. Because a bus is never going to be faster. It's, it just isn't. It might be a couple of minutes slower, but it's never really going to be faster for a lot of people because there are stops, there's this, there's that, there's getting on and off the interstate. You have to really want to, to get on a bus. And I'm not saying it can't be faster, but right now, without dedicated lanes and a way to do that, and really a way to encourage people to get on the bus. Well, I can't even get people to ride the bus in the city. 
I, to me, things like riding the bus or doing a taking a bike or whatever a train for in terms of commuting or getting from point A to point B um, is less about speed and more about choices. So if I'm riding a bus, I can sit on my, you know, read the newspaper on my phone, or I can read a book on my phone, I can work, I can be sending emails or whatever it is that I want to do. And in a car, you can't. What, and the problem that we have here is that we don't have choices. There are no good options in the Tampa Bay area, at least particularly in Tampa, to having a car. Um, it's, it is just really hard. So I, I feel like, you know, that's what is really important about providing buses and trains or whatever alternative forms of transfer, uh, transportation that we want to provide is is not necessarily speed, but choice. Oh, I yeah. under, I 100% agree. And so we just need to really encourage, but but to just put a system in without having the encouragement and how do we get people to actually try it? Mm-hmm. Because we actually, as uh, County Commissioner Pat Kemp pointed out, we actually already have these. They're, the buses connect with one another through the different counties. Yes. But but we aren't encouraging that. People need so, express buses. So if we aren't even encouraging the express bus usage, why create something else? We we need to encourage the system we have, get people to use it, get so many people to use it that we need to 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 move to the next thing. But you're right, we're not providing people choices, but we're not encouraging people either. This goes back to my whole thing as a former elementary school teacher about education, education, education. You really talk to people about the choices they have that they don't know they have. Yeah, well, it's a a strange thing, but I would recommend um, going and checking out the Sun Runner as a transportation tourism, I would call it. (laughs) Let's go take a trip to St. Pete and ride the Sun Runner. It's actually kind of a fun thing to do. It is. You can take it all the way to the beach. And it's free. (laughs) And it's free. Absolutely. I did want to, you mentioned sustainability. I wanted to ask a quick question that came from our friend John Dunn in the other room, which is about recycling. Is the city, in Clearwater, they stopped recycling for a while, and there are issues with recycling. Is the city still getting money for recycling? What's going on with recycling these days? Um... Unfortunately, majority of our recycling ends up having to be uh, burned because people aren't following the rules for recycling. Uh, It's wet garbage. It's things like that that are making it into the giant recycling bins. Nasty pizza boxes. Yeah. Uh, Basically, people aren't following the rules or honestly, they don't know. They don't know. They don't know. So... Again, this goes back to education. This goes back right now. We we do the the recycling that can go through the recycling sorting center is stopped. They have to stop it at least once a day to pull out the garbage plastic bags that you're not supposed to put in there. So again, robust education, reteaching people how to use that could 100% improve what we're taking out of the garbage stream. You know, it's amazing what a difference good communication makes in so many different ways, right? It's Not true. just with like recycling, but also with um, sustainability and the water use and um, city council mayor relations. Communication makes such a difference. Sure does. Absolutely. Well, Lynn, thanks for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Well, um, thank you for having me. Thanks to our callers. Thanks to those who emailed us. Stay tuned for the NPR News followed by great music from Harrison Nash. This is WMNF Tampa.